you, praise team, and I am just thankful for a lot of people singing. I was aware of that. There's something about this season that just makes us want to talk about our Savior, isn't it? And I am thankful for that this morning. Let me ask you, what are you getting for Christmas? Some of you think you know, and some of you probably don't know what you're getting for Christmas. You probably read this just a few days ago. Cyber Monday brought in $9.4 billion in one day. 19.7% increase over the year before. And they don't have the numbers yet, but they think that yesterday may equal or top that. There are a lot of expensive advertisements going on vying for your money and my money. Well, I don't know what you're getting for Christmas. I really don't even know what I'm getting for Christmas, but I do know some things about you and about myself as well. I know that you're just tired right now, just stressed. You got about three more days until Christmas gets here, and you got about three weeks worth of stuff to do, don't you? It just seems like it's not going to end anywhere. And uh, it's, a, it's a great time to be stressed. It just sort of brings out the best and the worst in us. Well, I know some things about what is causing the stress in your life and in my life at this time of the year as well. I've figured it out. I don't know if this will help you any, but it may give you the knowledge of why you're stressed at a time like this. I think part of it is that uh, we write notes and letters. We don't ever do that any other time of the year, but we decide this time of the year we're going to do that. I think Hallmark was behind that. Uh, And then we buy gifts. We buy gifts for people we love. We give gifts for people. We probably wouldn't give them a gift any other time if they weren't in the family. Uh, We do that. There's all the wrapping and stuff that has to go on as well. And then there are more dinners and more social get-togethers, I believe, in this month than there is in any other time of the year. And then on top of all of that, as well as all that get-together, some of you try to bake during this season. You've never baked in your life. And you're sitting here trying to bake and it's just stressing you because it's not coming out like you thought it would. And then if all of that was not enough to stress you, you know what? The school system turns all your kids out for two weeks. You got them at home. And so when you have all of that, you can understand why it's a time to be stressed, can't you? Well, let me tell you something. It can bring out the worst or it can bring out the best. The question that we really need to answer this time of the year is not what you're going to get or give for Christmas, but how you're going to live. How are you going to live because of Christmas? What happened that first Christmas should change your life and my life forever. I hope you have your copy of God's Word. We're going to look at Luke, the second chapter of Luke, that famous passage and you know it so well. I'm going to read it from the New King James. You can read it from whatever you've got in your hand. 
But I just want you to look at that. And I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as I read aloud this particular passage of scripture. Luke 2. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 11 of Luke 2. You follow along in your copy of God's word as I read aloud. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Nobody in this room has any idea what the glory of the Lord would look like. Verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, and which will be to all people. Now listen to verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Well, look at the rest of it. Who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, in Luke 1, the angel said when Jesus was born that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Father, we're exhorted by your spirit to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Father, I pray that crossroads will become bolder than ever before in declaring the truth of Jesus Christ to a lost, dying world. May we join with believers around the world in praising God, praising you, Father, for the gracious gift of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I want you to see two things in that passage of Scripture that we just read a moment ago. I want you to see, first of all, and you have an outline there in the back of your bulletin. I hope you will use that. First of all, I want you to see the Christmas provision. The Christmas provision. What is it? Well, Luke 2, verse 11, and I'm going to read from Philip's translation. It just sort of jumps out at you. This is what it says. This very day in David's town, a Savior has been born for you. A Savior has been born for you. That's the provision that God has given us, the Christmas provision. I didn't say this, but I like it. You've heard it before, so it's not going to be new news to you. But someone said this, and they said it well, I think. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator to us. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent an engineer to us. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist to us. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And God sent a Savior. 
That's the Christmas provision. But there's a second thing we're going to focus on today that I want you to see, and that's the Christmas profession. The Christmas profession. What is the Christmas profession? Luke 2.11, again. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions this morning, and they're going to get increasingly difficult. I'm going to warn you right up front as we begin to go through these. But I'm going to ask these questions, and I'm praying that you will ask these same questions yourself as we go through those. Let me ask you, first of all, do you believe in Christ's lordship? Do you believe in Christ's lordship? I don't believe we would get too much of an argument out of that in this group. I think most of us would say, yeah, I believe in his lordship. I have no problem with that, Kent. I believe that. Well, let me move you on to a second question. Now, I want you to think about this one very carefully. Have you made him... Lord. Now, don't just let that go over your head. Don't push it over to the side while you're thinking about everything else. I want you to ask yourself this morning, have you made him Lord? Have you made him Lord over all you are? Lord of all you have? Have you done that? Lord of all you do? Let me ask you this. Is he Lord of your thoughts and Lord of your time and Lord of your tongue and Lord of your talent and Lord of your money? Is he Lord of all those things? He's a Savior, but the Savior is a Lord. That's what I want you to see this morning. It's one thing to sing, Jesus is Lord. When it comes Easter, we sing that a lot of times. It's one thing to say that, one thing to even sing that, but it's another thing to live it out in your life and for me to live it out in my life. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is Lord. Is he Lord over all that you have? You might say, I believe he's Lord. You might be brave enough to say, "Uh, I believe that he's Lord over all that I am. And I pray and trust that you can. I hope you can do that. Luke 2 said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now I want you to listen how that verse plays out in all of this too. Not only is he Lord, but the Bible says that we are to gladly openly confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, are you doing that? Do you do that? Do I do that? The angel said there in Luke 10, 2 verse 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Everybody is to hear this. Everybody is to know this. God wants that message heard around the world. When we talk about his lordship, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we really begin to separate people 
over this little infant that was born in that manger. Now, I want to tell you something. You can take the hardest of hearts, and it will just melt a little bit and get a little softer when you talk about an infant, just a little helpless infant. And if you walk by or if you see something that reminds you of that infant in that manger, it's just something whether you believe in God or not. That's just something that's cultural that you sort of grew up with in this nation. And you hear that and you think about that, but it just sort of passes over you without giving it much thought at all. You can do that with anybody. But I want to ask you, is he Christ the Lord and are you proclaiming it? For there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Is he? Think about that for a minute. The Bible said, or in Bible times, when someone said, Jesus is Lord, it was an extremely profound statement when they made this statement, Jesus is Lord. Let me tell you why that was really a profound statement to make when they'd say that, that Jesus is Lord. It meant something. It meant a lot. If you were a Jew, when you said Jesus is Lord, and you meant that about this little infant that was in a manger, you know what you were saying? You were saying that this infant in the manger was coexistent, co-eternal, and co-equal with God sitting on the throne. That's what you're saying when you said that. We don't give that even a thought when we think about it or we say it even now, in those days, it was something. In the Old Testament, the name Lord was really Jehovah. And when you called his name, and if you spoke Greek, it was kurios. You can remember us talking about that. The word Lord means the supreme being. And when you said that, it meant something to you. It was the word of God. It was God in the flesh. Do you know that you, ha- that you have the name Lord 6,000 times in God's Word? 6,000 times. The supreme being. Now, a Jew in New Testament time, when they thought about that and they talked about if they were a devout Jew, when they were reading Scripture, when they came to the word Lord, they did not say it audible. They would bow their head and they would worship for that moment when they came to the word Lord, which would be kurios. If they wrote the scripture, if they were a scribe and they wrote the scripture, when they came to the word Lord, they would lay down what they had been writing with and they would take up a special pen to write with just to write that word Lord. Because it was a special word to them. That's what they did. That's how much it meant. We just read right over that and it doesn't mean much of anything to us. Luke 2.11 in the New Living Translation says the Savior, yes. The Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. Now for a Gentile in that day, when they said Lord... It really meant something to them as well. You and I would fit into that category if we were living back into that date and time at this point. 
You see, Caesar was emperor. And not only was Caesar emperor, he declared he was Lord. And everybody had to treat him and address him as Lord. That's what he demanded. So the subjects would confess that Jesus or that uh, Caesar was Lord, Kaiser Curios. That's what they would say. But a Gentile who was a follower of Christ, they would say, no, Caesar is not God. Then they would say, speaking to that, they would say, not Kaiser Curios, but they would say, Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord, even to the point of death to do so many times. I wonder, is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Do you see him as Lord? Do you see him in such a way that it matters that much to you that you would even give your life, if that's the cost that was demanded, to, to declare him as Lord? Vernon Grounds wrote this a long time ago. He said, It is amazing, therefore, to consider that the followers of a certain homeless, jobless, penniless carpenter did. They took the loftiest title in their culture and ascribed it to the ignominious leader who had died in shame as a condemned criminal on a Roman cross. They went everywhere defying Caesar's lordship in order to proclaim the lordship of their discredited master. They did this at the risk of death and the possibility of martyrdom. That's the name they chose because that's who he is. Peter says in Acts 2, 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ both Lord and Christ. This Christmas, can you say that? Let me remind you, if you say he is Lord, it's not Lord and something. It's Lord, period, if he's Lord. Can you say that this time of the year? Can you say that at all in your life, that Jesus Christ is Lord? He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You never add anything to that. Nothing at all. It's always Lord, period. The Lord Jesus Christ does not want a place in your life. He doesn't even want prominence in your life. He demands preeminence in your life and in my life. That's the Lord we're talking about. Now the questions are going to get a little tougher. Do you believe in his lordship? Have you made him Lord of your life? But now listen carefully. Are you openly, publicly professing Jesus Christ as Lord? Are you openly, publicly confessing Christ as Lord, even if it's going to cost you? And I will tell you it will when you decide you want to do that. The Lord, I give myself to you, we sing. Do we really do that? When I begin to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, some things are going to happen in my life and things will happen in your life if I truly, openly, publicly, gladly, boldly confess Jesus Christ as Lord, some things are going to happen in my life and they'll happen in your lives because they'll radically begin to change you. I want you to listen to these. Write these down. When I confessed Him as Lord, 
the first thing that happens is my salvation is sealed. My salvation is sealed. Friend, listen. If you're not willing, listen carefully, to openly, publicly, gladly confess Christ as Lord, don't try to convince people that you're saved, that you're born again, that you're a follower of Christ. Don't fool yourself. That's what I want to tell you. Don't fool yourself. Above all, Romans 10, 9 and 10, listen, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible states again and again, very clearly all through it, that if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. I remember, because I'm old enough to remember this, back in the 60s and the 70s, hearing preachers saying, Jesus Christ, make Jesus, or they would say, make Jesus your Savior. And they would encourage people to be saved. Ask him to be your savior. But it wasn't too far behind that that I began to hear people preach. I remember this just as plain as anything. I remember people preaching, now make Jesus Christ your Lord now that you've made him savior. Friend, that's heresy. That's not true. Some of you are old enough to remember that. We finally got that straight, I think. If he's Lord... He's your Savior, but you can't ask Him to be Savior and you don't have Him as Lord. It's not a line that you can go through and say, I'll take a little Savior, but I don't want any Lord. It's not a cafeteria line. If He's your Savior, He's your Lord. If He's your Lord, He's your Savior. That's the way it is. We need to understand that. And when we begin to confess Him as Lord, my salvation is sealed. Your salvation is sealed as well. Acts 16.31 So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He is Lord. I heard this just about three or four years ago from a pastor in our area. This pastor was going into a prison and doing a prison service. And he was talking about, in the presentation there with the prisoners all around him, he was talking about that time when Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross and hanging beside him was a criminal. Two criminals, but one was hanging beside him that turned to him wanting mercy from God at that particular time in his life. And he said that criminal turned to Jesus, warning this, and Jesus said to this criminal, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, and then this pastor, this minister in that prison began to use the vernacular they could understand. He said, Lord, when you get into your kingdom, put in a good word for me. And the pastor told the prisoner, or the pastors told those prisoners that Jesus turned to that criminal And he said, consider it done. And he said, as soon as I said those words, consider it done, they began to clap, they began to whistle, they began to stomp their feet because they recognized themselves as prisoners with no hope except with Jesus Christ when you confess him as Lord. That's what we're talking about. When you confess him 
as Lord. But friend, if you haven't done that, you can't call him your Savior. Charles Spurgeon said to pastors a long time ago, if the convert declares that he knows the Lord's will, but doesn't mean to attend to it, it is your duty to assure him that he is not saved. Don't imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by going to worldlings and telling them they can be saved by simply accepting Christ as Savior while they are welded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin. Amen, friend. It's exactly what we're talking about. If I'm living a double life and thinking I'm going to heaven and still holding on to those things that God supposedly saved me from, then I want you to know, friend, He's not my Savior. You can't have a Savior without having a Lord. Impossible. Do you know in the New Testament, Savior is only found 24 times. In the New Testament, Lord is found 433 times. The emphasis is on Lord. If I confess openly, publicly, unashamedly that Jesus Christ is my Lord, then my salvation is sealed. But let me give you another thing. If you confess Him openly, gladly, without shame, that Jesus Christ is Lord, Satan is silenced. Satan is silenced. What do you mean, Satan's silenced, when I confess Him as Lord? Well, I want you to see what I mean. Satan hopes that you and I will not believe and confess that Christ is Lord. That's what he wants for your life, and that's what he wants for mine. What is the confession of the New Testament church? Do you know what it is? Jesus is Lord. That's the confession of the New Testament church. Revelation twelve eleven says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Satan is terrified by testimony, and he's conquered by confession. When you and I... Name the name of Jesus Christ boldly, gladly, and confess him in the face of Satan. Face, uh, face Satan cowards in that. He cowers at that. Satan's forces melt when they hear that. During this Christmas season, would you confess Jesus Christ is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. What was their testimony there in Revelation? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Tell others He is Lord and that you belong to the Lord. My salvation is sealed. Satan is silenced. But when I boldly confess Jesus Christ as Lord, it strengthens saints. That's the third one. Strengthen saints. Would you like to be a stronger believer? If you, if you love God, you would. All of us love to want to be more than we are. Begin openly, verbally, that saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you want your faith to be strong, put your faith in your mouth. That's what I'm saying. Put your faith in your mouth and articulate your faith as you speak. Let your soul make her boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find your faith begins to grow the more we assent to something, the more we buy into it. 
The more we say Jesus Christ is Lord and we say it openly and audibly, we're going to begin to buy into that. We're going to be strengthened by that. What we're saying, the more power it will bring in our life. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. It brings power to your life when you say it over and over again. And I have found out that what I sacrifice most for, I love most. The same thing will happen in your life as well. When I put my faith in my mouth, it increases my love for my Lord Jesus Christ. I grow stronger. When I confess Jesus Christ as Lord, my salvation is sealed. Satan is silenced. Saints are strengthened as we confess him as Lord. But now I want to show you another one. Sinners are saved when we confess him as Lord. Sinners are saved. They will be saved. Luke 2 verse 10. The angel said to them, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's to be to everybody. Now everybody wasn't there when that angel said that. It had to begin from there to be spread out to the world around us. We're not all missionaries. We're not all preachers, but we're all as God's children to be reachers. God's given us that task in our life. We're called to be testimonials, testifiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Christian's Christmas profession as well as the rest of the year. Kent, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. Yeah, it is, if we haven't been used to doing it. It's hard to do it. Well, Kent, let me tell you something. That's sort of private. It is private when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But that doesn't mean it's not supposed to be public. Yes, it's intensely private. And personal when you invite Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. But friend, that doesn't mean that it's not supposed to be spread and to be given out to public all around us. When we begin to say that, we begin to touch the lives of people around us. Remember, listen very carefully. Remember, people are not saved by your good life. I know you're wonderful. And you do everything so well. But I want to tell you something. People not saved by looking at your good light are listening to your, your words that you say. People are saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you and I are to be testifiers. We're to give testimony. We are to proclaim it. It is so necessary and so needful that we do that. We're to be both audio as well as visual when it comes to proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to do that. People are lost and they need to know the way. These are good tidings of great joy. How are they going to know if we don't tell them? They don't just pick up Bibles and start reading it as a rule. How are they going to know? How are they going to know? Luke 2.11, for, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How will they know if we don't begin to do what God's called us to do? In the late 80s, you may remember that spiritual awakening came to Romania. The dictator Ceausescu was finally 
taken out of position of leadership. And I had the t- opportunity to find out what was happening by a man by the name of Dr. Joseph Son. I remember him telling me this story, and I just want to share it with you. Romania's spiritual, or Romania's, Romania's uh, deliverance from uh, communism came not by military overthrow or not by somebody taking the dictator's place, political revolution. It came by a spiritual revolution. I don't know if you know that. This was the late 80s. It began when a pastor who had been told, you can't preach Jesus Christ, you can't tell boys and girls about Jesus Christ, you can't stand in the pulpit and preach all these things against the nation. It began when this pastor was told that, as well as other pastors, evangelical pastors in Romania, and this happened to be in Oredo, Romania. This pastor and other pastors would be together and pray in secrecy. But this pastor was praying one day by himself, and God told him to be bold. And he said, I will be bold. Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do. And he went to his pastor friends and he said pray for me I am going to be bold I'm going to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to proclaim that he loves people that he died for them and he will save them and that he's Christ the Lord and so he started preaching that and it wasn't long until the soldiers came to get him now I don't know if some of you may have been in uh, Oredo before it's a pretty good sized city half a million or more, I think. But if you know, the cities, a lot of cities in Europe are like this, but they have these, we would call them big green spaces, but they have these big parks squared off. And people live all around them, and roads run through them sometimes, but they're just everywhere you live, you'll be close to this large open green space. When these policemen came to get him, Word spread real fast down the street what was happening to the pastor. And people began to come out of their houses with their families. Church members first began to come out of their houses with their family and their children. And the members of his church stood between the loaded guns and their pastor saying defiantly, if you take him, you've got to take us first. And they had their children standing in front of them. And as this began to happen... They began to have hundreds pouring out of the city, coming from all directions around the city until that square was completely filled. And the streets were now beginning to back up with people that was, that was filling it, coming there saying, in essence, if you take him, you're going to have to take us as well. And all these people, while they were standing there, and all this was going on, and it was a very tense moment with those loaded guns pointed there at that pastor those people getting bold as to what was going on, somebody in the crowd began to shout, there is a God. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. All over hundreds of voices were saying that. And then there was a pause in that, and somebody said, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. And again, the whole crowd began to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And a revival began to sweep over Oredo because Jesus Christ is Lord and his name was lifted up. They were no longer intimidated. That's what he's saying. Well, when I declare boldly that Jesus Christ is Lord, unashamedly that Jesus Christ is Lord, my salvation is sealed. Sinners will be, or Satan will be silenced. Saints will be strengthened. The lost will be saved. Sinners will be saved. When I declare that, there's one last thing I want you to see. When I declare Jesus Christ is Lord, it simplifies my life. How many people could raise your hand and say, boy, would I love to have my life simplified, especially this time of the year. It simplifies your life. There's a little old passage of Scripture in Acts that you may not have thought of or known about for some time, but it's Acts 9, verse 5, and verse 6. And they're interesting. This is the Apostle Paul who has just got knocked flat on his face by light, laying sprawled out on the ground. And in Acts 9, verse 5, the first thing that Paul says is, Who are you, Lord? And the second thing that he says is in the next verse, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord? And Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to tell you something. If you live by that, your life will be simplified. Paul didn't say, what do these other people want me to do? Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's what he's talking about. I'm reminded of the wedding at Canaan when the Lord Jesus Christ's mother said to those servants, you remember, They were trying to get everything all fixed up and she said to those servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. That's great advice. That's what Paul was going by. I heard about a pastor been just a few years ago who was called to pastor a rather large church. Had hundreds of members and hundreds of attenders. And... uh, This pastor had just gotten moved in, gotten the books in the office, got everything in the church that he was supposed to have in there that he needed. He'd just gotten moved in, and there was a woman came to his office to talk to him. And the woman said to him, you're going to have a very difficult job here. That's what a pastor loves to hear when they just got moved in their office. You're going to have a difficult job here. And he asked her, why do you say that? She said, oh, It's going to be difficult, really difficult, to please hundreds of people. That's a difficult job to do. He said, Madam, I won't try to please several hundred of you. I'm just going to try to please one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I please him, that ought to be enough for you. Goodness. It simplifies service, our life, when we do that. How do you please God? When you say and you mean it without stutter or without stammer, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know this story, November of 1871. 
H.M. Stanley had just found Dr. Livingston after having made that trip into the heart of Africa through the jungles. He finally found Dr. Livingston. And if you read the story, he fell in love with Dr. Livingston and the fact that he just loved to be around him and talk to him and listen to him. And as those days that he was there, that Stanley was there before he was to go back, he just began to slip some things in to Dr. Livingston. He said, you know, you've been gone a long time and your people in England miss you. We'd love to have you come back. And he'd talk about that and he'd talk about that in those days that he was there. And finally, it came the last day before Stanley was to leave, steam back to England. And he said to him, he wanted him to go so bad. He he talked to him about that. He said, Dr. Livingston, you've done a good job here, here in Africa, but you're sick. Come home. Your books have sold many copies. You're a man of wealth now. Come home to the wealth and the accolades that you deserve. And now there's doctors back in England that can help you with this jungle fever that he had. There's medicine that can be given to you. Come on back to your people. Dr. Livingston, that old doctor, said, let me think about it. I'll pray about it. I'll give you an answer in the morning. Next morning when they got ready to leave, Dr. Livingston said, I can't go. Here's what he said. He said, I promised God I would serve him here and I promised God I would die here. Stanley shook, hugged this old man's neck and shook his hand as he got on that boat to sail back. As it steamed away, That was probably the last contact Dr. Livingston would have with the outside world. But that night, he wrote this in his diary. It's recorded for you to see. Here's what he said. By the light of that little old fire, this old doctor had been there all those years. He said, my Jesus, my King, my life, my Lord, My all, I again dedicate the entirety of my life to thee. You know the story. He died in Africa. You remember, before they sent his body back to England, those that loved him in Africa cut his heart out. And they said his heart belongs to Africa. And when he sent his body back to England, there was an international rift. The English people said, this is his homeland. This is where he's born. This is where he was sent from. His body, his, his heart belongs here. And I want to tell you, they were both wrong. His heart belonged to God. That's where his heart was. It's exactly where his heart was. People will say, do this. And do that. But when Jesus Christ is Lord, He's the one that tells you what to do. He's the one that tells you what to do. Let me close with some life application. 21st century pilgrims, we need to ask ourselves is Jesus Christ really Lord? 
Is he really Lord of my life? If he's not, what right do I have to claim that I'm a Christian or that I'm a follower of Christ? I have no right. If he's not Lord, I have no right. The Philippian jailer, you remember, was told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We've been in Luke 2, 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now listen closely. The question is not, will you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord? The question is, when will you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord? What do you mean, Kent? Well, I mean just exactly what Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow. Now listen carefully. Of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue, every tongue, yours, mine, every tongue, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're going to confess it. If you haven't confessed it already, you're going to confess it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But friend, if you wait until that day to confess Him as Lord, it'll be too late. When you confess Him as Lord now, The Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, will claim you as a brother or sister in the family and present you to the Father that way. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to have an invitation moment. I just want to ask you, Would you be ashamed to walk out these doors and walk down the streets down in Cadiz or walk in your neighborhood and when you greet someone, you would say to them, Jesus Christ is Lord. Would that embarrass you? Would you be ashamed to say Jesus Christ is Lord? Friend, if God says if we are, then we don't know Him as Lord and we sure don't know Him as Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, this morning in this place, I just pray for your will to be done among first your people, those who have declared you openly as Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, I pray for those that might be here this morning that have never done this. And it may be a holiday to them, but Father, in your plans, your heart is for them to come know you as Lord and Savior of their life. I pray they would do that today in this place. I pray, Father, that uh, those who know you as Lord begin to ask you, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? this invitation if God's speaking to you would you say yes to him if he's speaking to you to publicly proclaim that would you be willing to say yes Lord you're Lord I'll do what you ask me to do
this invitation closes, would you be willing to do that? Jesus Christ is Lord. Unashamedly, I proclaim Him as Lord. My Savior, my Lord. Let me ask you to be seated, if you would, for just a moment. For those of you who are regular attenders, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Before we receive our offering in just a moment, I want to just tell you what's going to happen. When we have received our offering and then the, our search team is going to give a very brief uh, update on what they're doing and what's happening. And then when they get through, we're going to close this service out with our praise team just leading us in a Christmas hymn. And so don't you run out till you've done that. And as you're running out or as you're going out slowly, there's going to be food back there for you, just about as much as you could probably eat. So we've saved that to last for you. Let me share this with you before we receive our offering. A lady by the name of Pam was viewing an artist's exhibit of his paintings that he had done And as she was looking at each of these paintings, one particularly struck her. It was a picture of an old clapboard house. And the porch was sagging in over the top of that porch, or the top, the roof of that porch was sagging in. And she said, in describing the picture, that on the front porch there was a lot of gifts and food and there was a little boy with a red cowboy hat just dancing around on that old porch the artist happened to be there Pam wanted that picture explained and here's what he said he said my father left me and my brother about six months before Christmas And my mama kept telling me it was not going to be a Christmas this year. There's not enough money. We don't have money to do that. And so this little boy said, I prayed. And I believed God would provide Christmas for us. And he said, when I woke up that morning and I looked out on that porch, there was all that food and there was gifts and there was that little red hat and he said I just began to dance and he said in my mind every time I think about that I dance I just dance and I knew one day I was going to paint that and I did let me share something with you child of God Christ invites us to give and he invites us to give without fanfare They never knew who brought all these groceries, all those toys. I just wondered as I thought about that story, I wonder if there's an empty porch somewhere calling you. I wonder if there's a crying heart right now calling you. I want to tell you something. If God's people won't do it, it won't get done. I'm just going to tell you, it won't get done. Fellas, as you come to receive our offering, 
when that is done, then the report will be given. When that's done, we're going to have some singing. We're going to sing a hymn.